Bracken and Bell together. There's Cooper breaking through. A chance now. This will be the fourth goal for Aberdeen. Cooper puts it in with two defenders. Well, suddenly it's become a rout. Of course, when things are going wrong against you, you don't get the breaks of the ball. Cooper in with Stewart. He didn't really know where the ball was, but he got the break. And as you say, it's a schoolboy's dream being able to take your time, knowing that really all you've got to do is crack it into the back of the net. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Here We Go podcast. Another packed show to go on with this evening. Well, with the closing of the transfer window to discuss, uh, with a, a very unexpected new arrival joining joining the club, we also have the visit to Ibrox to discuss as well as a, well, a couple of games, including the most important thing, uh, which is the Scottish Cup. Joining me as always this evening, we have Richard Hay. How are you, Richard? I'm well, Martin. Uh, I can see you didn't use your week away to write an intro to this week's show, but never mind. No, that's okay. I mean, it's it's so tempting just to be be wonky and say something sarcastic towards you, but I'm rising above that. So, um, and we also have two guests for you this evening. Uh, we are really, really spoiling you. Um, firstly, we have Andrew Southwick. How are you, Andrew? Not sure you're spoiling anyone by me, but uh, thanks for having me anyway. Good to be back. That is no problem at all. And also welcoming back to the show is Michael Grant. Hi guys, thanks for having me back. Not always a always a pleasure. Now, as I mentioned there, we have we have a lot of a packed show, lots and lots to discuss, as always happens when the transfer window closes. Richard, um, we saw, well, we'll say, we'll say goodbye first, I think. Um, we said goodbye to James Wilson. Uh, he joined he joined the holy Adam Rooney at Salford. Uh, Zach Viner was recalled by Bristol City. And Stephen Gleeson um, went, well, he was released. Um, he'll be on somebody else's bench probably, won't he? I don't think he'll make it that far, but uh, Zach Viner, I can't say I'm going to miss him all that much. He's a sort of useful squad filler that we seem to have had at least one of on loan each of the last few seasons, usually Don Ball in fairness. Uh, Not quite solid enough for centre-half, not quite mobile enough to play right back, not quite good enough on the ball for centre midfield. By no means a bad player, and obviously his injury has been a really frustrating one, so best of luck to him in getting over that. Um, I, I can't see me remembering him beyond um, you know, needing to recognise him in any future AFC picture quiz competitions. Um, James Wilson, there have been plenty of attacking signings that have utterly and completely failed under Derek McInnes, uh, but usually... You can understand the attraction of bringing them in. You know, be it the sort of good willies or Mays who have lit up the league before moving down south. Even the likes of Nicky Maynard who worked profitably under McInnes beforehand. This to me, the whole James Wilson signing, it smacked of a project. You know, it smacked of the manager looking to be the one who could finally unleash this great hidden talent. Despite the bulk of the available evidence from last season suggesting otherwise. You know, in a way, in a way, I don't entirely blame him because there were moments, and it was just moments, where he could make something that most other players in the league just couldn't do look ridiculously easy. But ultimately, if a guy's been underwhelming for 12 months, he's probably going to continue to be underwhelming, uh, and as it was. Moving him on, 
and not having him drain the wage bill for another 18 months frankly feels like a minor success. As for Stephen Gleeson, um, I think it just shows that having championship footballer as the most recent entry in your CV counts for absolutely nothing. To be fair, he was stripped for the 18 practically every week last year. But, you know, A, Shinny and Ferguson were like machines in the middle of that park last year. And B, Don Ball would be preferred if we needed an extra body in there. So um, he remained resolutely um, unused um, each week. Again, he's uh, obviously suffered from injuries this year. Um, I can't see him troubling league football for the next uh, next wee while, definitely, Martin. So I think with those bodies out, I think no one is going to shed any tears about those three. Let's put it that way. I've got to say, I thought, um, I thought Wilson was worth a risk. Um, and it was a risk. But he showed in spells last season, he had something about him... Um, you know, he showed to be a quality player in the past. You know, a guy who gets in the first team at Man United, well, certainly back then, you know, must have something about him. Um, you know, those sort of players aren't available too often. So it was worth a go. It didn't work out. Maybe he wasn't given enough chances. Maybe he was playing in the wrong position. But I don't really hold it against McInnes giving him a go. But I do hope now that he has gone, that this means Bruce Anderson will get more of a chance. Because for me, and actually I think Saturday showed that he was on the bench and Curtis Mean wasn't maybe Andrew's now main backup to to Sam Cosgrove. I was actually at the went to the reserve game last Monday, the beat Kelly four three and uh, Anderson was head and shoulders above everyone in that game. He got a hat trick, but I mean he could have maybe six, you know, he was getting into the right place. It seemed similar actually to the Barton game, he was getting into similar, all the right places, just you know, lacked a little bit in front of goal. He did miss quite a few really good chances, like one of them was one and one. Um, you know, maybe that's why we don't see as much of him as maybe should. But uh, you know, Main Main being there and Wilson being there meant he was kind of forced choice. I do hope now that Anderson maybe pushes up a little bit. We got a bit of stick last week uh, on the interweb because uh, a couple of the guests hadn't been actually at St Mirren or at the Motherwell game last week. I'm glad to see we've uh, responded to that by picking on a guy who went to the reserve game in Kilmarnock. <laughs> that's some effort, Andrew. Some effort. Well, yeah. <laughs> I, it was, I just wanted to go and see the team actually an Aberdeen team actually attack and score goals so <laughs> if you want a bit of balance I didn't go to the reserve game I didn't go to the and I didn't go to the mother game so you know there we go I'm coming in with some heavy knowledge here I did go to the Dumbarton game I did go to the Rangers game though yeah, we'll be doing a full audit of which games each of us have been at because I think that's what the internet now demands. I think the James Wilson thing, it's, it's something we have been over before, but I don't think it was, it, there was really enough there to justify a two-year deal. And it, it was just moments in some games, you know. You couldn't even get a 90 minutes out of him, really, to be perfectly honest. So I, I, had a, I had a lot of goodwill towards him from the start. I mean, partly because I've gone up to interview him. I was gonna, it was one of these ones that it, it, it caught my imagination when they signed because, like all of us, I think we we were just hoping that we would see a bit of what um, he had shown at the beginning of his career at Man United. And it, I mean, it's pretty obvious. He, he just never really took off for us, you know. And the moments, a couple of goals. I get slightly frustrated when I hear people say that you know he didn't get enough of a chance. I mean, I think his stats were 48 appearances over the two seasons. Now I know a lot of them were off the bench and coming in, maybe not in great, um, you know, when the results weren't great and things were against us and he didn't get that much time. But he, I think he had an awful lot 
time on the pitch to show more than he did, you know. Um, but frustrating, I have no ill will towards the guy. I, I mean, I hope he he's still only 24, you know. I mean, it, it's a hell of a drop in in Lancashire to go to from Manchester United to Salford in the space of two, three years or whatever it is. So I hope that he still, um, you know, can can make a career for himself. He's made an awful lot of money. Um, I don't know whether that's kind of put him into a bit of a comfort zone in terms of never having to kind of have any financial worries again. But I, I, like you said earlier, a, a very talented guy. I, I liked the fact he was in the squad because I thought there are times when he might just come on and do something that nobody else can do. But it, it, it just didn't happen with really. As of the transfer window, the big news was we were all taken by surprise uh, by the arrival of Ronald Hernandez, who is a 22-year-old Venezuelan international right-back with 15 caps, who joined us from Norwegian club Stabæk. But enough about me repeating stuff from Wikipedia. Um, We actually went to the bother of speaking to someone who knows about this guy. Um, Richard spoke to Ben Wells, uh, who is a Norwegian football analyst and podcaster, uh, to get the inside scoop on our new signing. So, Ben, thanks for joining us. I know you're based in London, but you watch a lot of and indeed host a podcast on the Norwegian uh, elite Syrian. So you'll be well placed to speak about Ronald Hernandez's time at Stabæk. Now, he was just 19 when he made the move in 2017, joining not long after being part of the Venezuelan under-20 side that made it to the under-20 World Cup final against England in 2017. Uh, Was it an easy transition for him and did he see much first-team action in that first sort of half-season? Yeah, uh, cheers for having me on, first of all. Um, but yeah, it was an interesting signing at the time, because not often you get a, a Venezuelan player come from the Venezuelan League to Norway. You sometimes get the other sort of Costa Rican player, for example, comes over. So it wasn't, it wasn't an immediate start when he first joined, but... I mean, how would you best describe his style of play from what you've seen, and how have uh, Stavak utilised him during his time there? Um, he's been He's played a lot of different roles, actually. So he's, he's primarily a right-back quite defensive in his play uh, not the most attacking of players he's skillful on the ball and he's got um, a good cross in him but he's not necessarily got uh, the same attacking mindset you see as some more modern fullbacks in the world right now so yeah but, but mainly his role has been right back but that's been only sort of the last year and a bit I'd say where he's played in this natural position uh, because he's certainly been sold to us over here as a, as a very forward-thinking right-back. Um, I think he's been sold to us because cause that has been what we've been lacking, obviously. Yeah. Um, what about the style of play that Stavak have utilised over the past couple of years? I know that in his second year there, they were struggling against relegation, only staying up uh, via the playoffs. So ha- has that been a factor in his development, the fact that you know he's maybe not been a, a team which has been thriving itself? Yeah, it's been interesting because... Um when he arrived at Starbuck, they just sort of got off the back of um, Bob Bradley era, who was there. Yes. And he was very he was very good for them. They were challenging on top of the league at that point. He still had sort of come in and out of the team quite a lot. Um, sort of on top of that as well, because he's been playing for Venezuela, um, the national team. So he's been away at sort of strange times of the year. He'd come back from Venezuela, sort of like a, a 24-hour flight with ridiculous time difference. And then go straight into the match squad for next day sort of thing. So, yeah, it's been a bit bit of a sort of tough ride in general, I guess, at Starbuck, but he's improved year on year. And in the last sort of six months, um, Starbuck got a new coach in, a guy who's managed the team before, about 10 years ago or so. And he's been very good for his development. Um, and Anna's been back up, you know, right back, like I said, where he's been playing really well. Uh, the team's improved as a whole. This is a team that generally 
gives young players a big chance. If you look at Starbucks first team, there's a lot of, a lot of Norwegian youth successes in there, for example. They're all starting, you know, 20 to 30 games a year, so he's in the same boat as uh, many of his teammates. Were you, were you a little bit surprised that he did progress to full Venezuelan honours as quickly as he has done? Um, to an extent, I mean, I don't, I, I don't think the Venezuelan team's blessed with too many, uh, you know, top class defenders at the moment. But at the same time, I think he was always, I know when he was playing for Zamora and the team before Starbuck, he was, you know, obviously in the under 20, under 17 Venezuelan national team. And he was always, he was always founded out as a sort of potential in, future international. So yeah. I think he's always been sort of fast tracked to that level. Mm-hmm. But his performances internationally have been brilliant. I mean, he's come up against, you know, like players like Lionel Messi, Neymar at Brazil, players like this, um, sort of every international break and not been embarrassed really in any of them. Venezuela have been pretty good in general and, you know, and then always comes back with pretty glowing reports from the international setup. So it's been, I think I was surprised at first when he, when he was first at Starbuck that he was in the, in the team at such a young age and playing regularly. It seems like his performances for the national team have been sort of so good recently. They can't, you know, just can't take him out of that team now. The uh, the fee has been the subject of some speculation over here. Uh, obviously, it was officially described as undisclosed, um, but there's been rumours over here that it's been in the ten million kroner region. Does that sound at all plausible? I expect that would be pretty plausible. Yeah, I mean, for a guy sort of under twenty three years old, football caps Venezuela. Um, yeah, that's sort of anything between you know, five hundred thousand pounds to about a million would be fair for him. Yeah, because um, it was very much their intention to set to to bring him in, develop him, and sell him on. That that's the model, presumably. But he's the sort of player who, you know, if given two or three years at Aberdeen and see how he develops, you could sell him for five times that quite easily. I reckon. Um, I was I was personally quite surprised that he didn't sort of go to. Yeah, like a Spanish, a Spanish team or something like that, because he was, he's been linked to you know, various clubs there for quite a while. So it seems like he's taken this sort of next stepping stone, and I'm sure people didn't have in the back of their minds that he could have quite a high resale value if he continues to develop on the same sort of trend as he has been doing. Yeah, well, the length of contract that he's been given over here certainly suggests that. I just wanted to finally ask it about that last season in Norway, 2019, and, and about whether he was able to kind of make the leap to, to sort of stand out player level uh, at Starbeck or, you know, wh- whether he was still developing. I mean, for me personally, I thought last year was his best year by quite a long way. Um, so I say, it was interesting because Starbeck, the first half of last season were pretty terrible until when the manager came in. Mm-hmm. They completely improved, like it was... Mad how, how good they got in such a short space of time. So yeah, a lot of players did improve, and Jimenez was one of them who sort of significantly fight, like nailed down his role in the team, still being more vocal with his teammates. And I think his English has, has sort of got better each year, which has obviously helped him. So yeah, I think I think personally it's fair to say he's, he's one of the stand-up players um, and elite Syrian team of the year last year, which sounds like a massive honour, I guess. But at the same time. I'm, there's not a great deal of right back to the league, so taking a bit just on, I guess. Um, but yeah, he was very good. They've got themselves a player who should probably around the starting eleven from pretty much the off, I'd say. Maybe ease him in a little bit because he's just sort of come off back over a full year and you know, not been training too much in the pre-season. 
but other than this, I think he's the sort of player that should be aiming for you know, the Aberdeen first eleven sooner rather than later. Excellent. Thank you very much for your time, Ben. Nice one. No worries at all, mate. Thanks for having me on. There is a lot to be excited about with this guy. Um, no, he is. No, from what we hear, he is. No, he's, he's very attacking as well. Stabek said the fee also was a significant number. Um, obviously, it was undisclosed, but we're no. If rumours are believed, and it is rumours on its social media and the internet, we're talking in the sort of high high hundreds of thousands. Mm, I I hate the kind of speculation nonsense thing, but I did get drawn into it the other day because I got I got told a figure on Friday which I instantly dismissed because I thought there's no way we've paid that much. But then I heard Richard Gordon on the radio on Saturday and heard a couple of other things which might actually start to stand it up. Um, and you're looking at possibly something in the region of about 800,000 or, or 10 million uh, Norwegian kroner, um, which, um, which yeah, for us, it's a, that's a huge investment. I mean, that's double the sort of money we were paying for Stevie May. And if you think about it, uh, a young international footballer for a team, for a Venezuela team in the top 25 in the FIFA rankings, with two years left in his contract at, at Stabek, then that sort of 500,000 to a million sort of figure You'd probably expect that, to be honest, because it's not exactly a low-value league, the Norwegian uh, the Norwegian one, because obviously it's a high-wage economy over there to start with. I mean, it's a fascinating signing on quite a few levels, and one the club obviously believe could bring substantial reward down the line, given the length of deal he's been signed on. And the ambition shown is, is laudable, absolutely. Um, but as fans, all you have to remember the Kiriakov and Zvetinov signings. I'm not going to get too carried away with our sexy foreign import quite yet. So I haven't been out ordering a Venezuelan flag to take to the game tomorrow night. Uh, what it does instantly remind me of is um, when Hibbs signed uh, Ulysses de la Cruz. Do you remember him? Yeah. Ecuadorian uh, left back who, uh, a brief wiki search turns out, is now an MP in Ecuador. Um, so... <laughs> The things you learn on this podcast. Um, see, I think he had one season at Hibs and then moved on to Aston Villa. Hibs d- doubled the money, I think. And, you know, I'm, I'm sure that's probably a, the intention with us. So I think it's probably been sold to him as a move that can get him into uh, the Premiership down south, um, possibly following the same sort of path that Morales has followed. Uh, I, and maybe it's being bankrolled by Atlanta. There's been some suggestion about that, about that as well. And maybe that's the uh, future destination for him, should it go well here at Pitodri. Well, Michael, um, Richard's not willing to get ahead of himself. Uh, I am. So I'll suggest to you, I mean, we've signed a new Cafu, haven't we? <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I'm, I'm, I'm getting way ahead of myself. <laughs> so yeah, I'm very excited about this. Um, to, to, first of all, to talk about the fee, um, like you... I began to hear of a, of a high figure. I mean, initially it was talking about four, four hundred, five hundred thousand. But then I also heard this um, seven fifty was the figure that I heard, and I and I, and I kind of checked it out, and it, and it was it was stood up. And um, so you know, it, we're, we're inching into Paul Bernard territory here, but hopefully, hopefully not with the same uh, the same anticlimactic outcome. But and, and I also think though that um, the length of the contract suggests that. Um, this is seen as a big investment by the club and one that will eventually yield, um, you know, significant profit. Now, we haven't seen the guy yet. Um, the, the Venezuelan, the number of Venezuelan caps is, is encouraging for his age. I think, is it 15 he has? Yeah. Um, he, he, you know, he played in the Copa America games right up to the quarter final, played the whole 90 minutes. So that suggests there's pedigree there. I like the fact that he's already, uh, come to Europe. I'm guessing that he's seen Scottish 
football as a kind of a stepping stone to England today, if that's what his options lie. Um, in terms of the team, um, I mean, ironically, having watched Shea Logan on uh, Saturday, I, I think that was one of the best performances I've seen him give for a long time. Um, and, you know, if he'd been playing that consistency, consistently for a while, then maybe we wouldn't be looking for a Venezuelan. But I, 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 I think it is overdue to apply uh, pressure to Shea at right back. Again, is he going to be a right back? Is he going to be a right wing back? That alters the whole shape of the side, and, or, the, or gives it another option at least. But yeah, it's, it is a fascinating deal, as Richard said, on various levels. Not the least of which is, it's not the kind of player that Derek McInnes has signed in the past in terms of the background. He's tended to go to the British market or people that are familiar in British football. That's not the case this time. And of course, that is interesting with the new you know, boardroom composition and the Atlanta United makeup as well. That um, we're looking at a kind of fresh direction, fresh thinking here. Scott, we said, see, we're talking about not getting carried away with this signing. Um, do you remember the old? Uh, remember signing Juan Cobian from Argentina? I was just convinced this guy was going to be a legend at Aberdeen. So this is my claim to fame as an Aberdeen fan. I'm pretty sure. I could be wrong, there could be folk listening who did the same, but I'm pretty sure I'm the only Aberdeen fan on the planet who got Johan Cobian's name in the back of my shirt. And he played what? Did, did he play? Like, like, he did play. Maybe play, <laughs> played a handful of games. So I'd, I was left for the whole year with this Cobian in the back of my shirt. Um, so I, that was the last time I ever got a player's name in the back. I was probably too old at that point to get a, a name in the shirt anyway, but that was the last time I ever did, made that mistake. So... Uh, just be thankful this was 20 years ago that you did this, Andrew, and not, you know, now when tattoos are all the rage and you, you might have actually gone the whole hog and got a Wan Cobian tattoo on you. What's it? If anyone's listed, maybe somebody's already got a tattoo. <laughs> it's like that Rangers fan that got the Connor Goldson tattoo after about two games. How's that working out for you, son? How's that working out? <laughs> um... Andrew, I was going to say as well, it's, it's very interesting that um, it was Dave Cormack tweeted right on the deadline that they'd also tried uh, for another attacking player with some crea- with creativity was the words he used, um, which I think is something that we all, we all identify as something that we needed as well. No, no, McInnes has said that himself. Um, I thought that was interesting. It was also very much a, an I'm the boss kind of statement with him. I mean, you'll, you'll know better than sort of myself and Richard. You'll hear what other people are saying, but there's... Is, there's a feeling that you know Cormac kind of loves the loves the limelight a little bit too much already. That's came out with his social media stuff, and a few a few people in the media have had a shot at him already for it. Uh, but it's it's as Aberdeen fans, it's refreshing that he's coming out and ex- explaining this kind of stuff to us, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. I mean, um, maybe that's what we needed is somebody to come in and be a bit more forthright and maybe take charge a little bit. Um, but I think yeah. We, well, another 10 would have been good, but I think reading between the lines, I think it's more because we were targeting good players rather than just a kind of, you know, you'd see that, you know, little uh, emoji on Twitter always signs somebody and then it's, you know, no disrespect to the guy, but Don Ball from from Rotherham Reserves who's going to play every position, you know, that we actually were, you know, targeting good players. I mean, Kennedy's, I don't think he's a full international, but he's been... He's Done all the, the youth systems. He's there, thereabouts. I think you Northern Ireland. Now he's, he's probably not too far away for the first team there. Um, obviously, this Venezuelan guy's international. McGeek's been international set up before. You know, to get players like that in January, you know, you, you've you've got to show a bit of ambition and probably spend a bit of money as well. So we've certainly done that. And um, 
Um, I think actually Aberdeen as a club have been impressive recently, certainly since McCormick's come in. Uh, McCormick, uh, Cormick's come in. You know the Merkelstein initiative, the Atlanta link up, even just Cormick's uh, comments on stewarding and wanting a standards zone next season. And you've got to say they've shown an ambition in the transfer market. So I think you know it's a kind of if you're going to talk the talk, you need to walk the walk. And I think Cormick actually has done that. I think on the transfer window, it's been a, it's been a positive one, but we can't ignore the fact that we we are definitely that sort of number ten position short, and and we have been ever since Ryan Christie went back to Celtic. Yeah, I, I, I mean, obviously Kennedy's come in as an attacking player more more wide, um, but but you know that that's all that's doing is kind of cancelling out um, or levelling out the departure of Wilson as an attacking forward. So. Um, Kennedy's not been a prolific scorer in his career, so we're still looking to address that, aren't we? That um, uh, the reliance on Cosgrove for goals is is pretty alarming. I mean, he's on 21, and if, uh, the next best is McGinn on five, you know, and, and Considine and Hedges on four. Now, the midfield isn't really chipping in, the wide players aren't really chipping in nearly enough. You know, you talk about Wilson showing moments, I think Brian Hedges has only really shown moments so far this season. Still kind of waiting for him to really to really catch fire if if it's going to happen. But um, on the broader point, yeah, I, I agree with Andrew that um, I think Cormac has been a pretty refreshing uh, addition to the scene uh, so far. Um, you know, the, the training ground, obviously, the the Merkland initiative against Dumbarton, it, it, it gave it a bit of atmosphere and a bit of life in a game that we all know otherwise wouldn't have that, and it just created a new kind of focal point in the stadium for that game it was good um, and I think that uh, obviously they're doing it again for the Kilmarnock game and the, the numbers have, have shown that the fans liked it because it's already sold out so I mean it, it's not all going to work there's going to be hits and misses he's going to ruffle some feathers and he's not going to be everybody's cup of tea but um, it's certainly a change of direction and a change of uh, I kind of, there's a voice from the club now that wasn't really there under Stuart Mill's um, stewardship because he was just a different character entirely. And of course, we we played Rangers on Saturday afternoon, uh, but before that, um, there was quite a strong uh, fan reaction to Tony Docherty's midweek pre-match press conference. Uh, Andrew, you had wrote a very interesting blog um, during the week, raising some interest, raising some points. Docherty, in his in his comments, you know, he, he did he ruffled some feathers, but. Um, he did. Ha- he did raise some very good points as well. That you no, know, we have been critical of McInnes in certain certain times, but some of it has been unfair. Yeah, I think I think Doherty probably made the mistake of probably saying too much. I think if he just you know stuck to his points about you know McInnes has done well, he's done this, and believing him, back him, and probably done it right. And he kept talking and talking, and he came up with that that comment about the you know fans need to show a bit more loyalty. And I thought that's. You know that was kind of off the mark. I think he probably regrets that now. Um, but you know, he's kind of when you're just put in front of the media, and he's, he didn't do it that often. Um, it's just maybe come out. But um, I think his overall comments were kind of. I don't think it was that far off the mark. I think a lot of the comments have been have been poor. Like I mean, people you know coming on and criticising him for the, you know the results, performances. You know, that's perfectly acceptable. I think some of the way it's been. You know, social media has been a has been out of order. Like you know, sons getting abuse on Twitter and stuff. And it's, you know, that sort of thing. It's, we don't need that at all. Like, but I think. Um, but like I say, I mean, obviously you mentioned the blog. Like um, for me, 
you know, I was quite critical of McInnes in the article. I don't think this season's been good enough. I don't think even the last 18 months have been good enough. Um, you know, there are legitimate concerns. And this season feels very much like Jimmy Caldwell's last season when the team just didn't seem to be going anywhere. It seemed to be, you know, regressing. Um, and, and I remember being one of the ones that said, you know, towards the end of the season, listen, if Caldwell's in charge next season, I'm not, I don't, I couldn't see myself going back. I was just so disillusioned with it all. Um, but I don't, even though this season's similar, I, I don't, I've still got kind of faith in McInnes. Like I, I didn't really see any evidence that Calder was ever going to make it better. Um, but you know, we have we have had good times on the McInnes, and um, it, it's just it's hard to put a finger on why why we have regressed so much. Because you know, at the moment, the boring is football. The boring is football. The football is boring. We're setting up to stop teams rather than imposing ourselves, and we've not always done that on the McInnes. Like, you know, we've, we used to be pretty ex, a pretty exciting team to watch. Um, but if we finish fourth again, for me that is a failure because you know I don't think that's being disrespectful to Kilmarnock and Motherwell when I say that. You know, Aberdeen should be finishing above those teams. Um, you can talk about Hearts and Hibs and say, well, they've got similar budgets. Um, yeah, it's good that we're finishing above them, but they've changed managers for a reason because they're not finishing above us and because they feel they should be challenging us. Um, so I don't really think that's a, an acceptable excuse. I think he does need to improve. However... Um, you know, I still believe in him. I still believe McInnes does have what it takes to turn it around. I've, it's been said so many times when, you know, in the past few years, or, you know, McInnes has taken Aberdeen as far as he can. And then he'll respond with, you know, a big result, a cup final. Um, so, yeah, I still hope and believe he can turn it around. But I do, I do accept that the season's not good enough. And if it continues, then, you know, the criticisms are legitimate. I think one of the relevant things about the middle of last week when Tony Doherty spoke was the, the climate then amongst the supporters was really pretty hostile um, towards the management, or, or at least from, from a from a fairly sizable chunk. Now, I'm not saying that that is all gone just because it was a decent performance and result at Ibrox, but, but there is a, def, there's a different tone. There's, a, there's been a bit of a kind of calming down about things uh, since the weekend, but um, last week I think if you know, pretty much anything that Tony Dockett was liable to say was probably going to go down badly with supporters, and it would have been the same if Derek McInnes had come out, because it was just on the back of the St Mirren game where there was a chanting against them. But I, I, I didn't like the chanting. I don't like the language that was used. I thought that, that I thought that it was just a bit crass. You know, I mean, you, by all means, you can kind of protest against the manager, or whatever. But you know, the, the GTF stuff I thought was poor. Um, and, and McInnes deserved better than that, you know. But um, I agree with Andrew. I mean, I think um, I'm hopeful that the January window will will transform the team for the for the second half of the season. I mean, I know we're going to go on to to speak about Ibrooks, but what struck me was that six of the team that played on Saturday hadn't been in the five 0 game, and it, I mean that's 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 a, a huge factor because. Every one of them made the team better at the weekend. You know, Taylor and McKenna in the centre of defence was better than the central defence in September. Ojo and McGeoch was better than the midfield in September. So there was substance there. Now, you know, if Hernandez also comes in and makes a difference, um, you know, it could rejuvenate the side in the second half of the season. Albeit, I still think that we've got issues and... Um, 
things to resolve going forward because you know the number ten is a is a question mark, and, and as we just said, guys aren't uh, contributing enough. But again, I would you know I, I would um, I would back McInnes to um, I, I think Aberdeen will finish third, and then it's a case of uh, how far do they go in the cups, and you know do they get a bit of luck and uh, you know burrow deep into the tournament again? Sorry, the, the cup, the Scottish cup. Well, listen, as uh, someone who uh, stood outside Pataudry week after week demonstrating for Alex Smith to go uh, 25, however long many years ago that was, Christ, 30 years ago nearly, um, I'm maybe not the poster boy for patience, but I think it's entirely fair for Tony Doherty to come out and defend their record. Whether it was the most diplomatic or sensible thing with regards to the prevailing sentiment is another thing. And, you know, frankly, the record stands up pretty damn well to scrutiny, um, certainly over the whole course of their time here. Generally speaking, when we've been in this place before, when there's been a bit of pressure, when there's been a few grumbles, a bit of discontent, his teams have usually reacted and come out of whatever slump they're in at the time. However, clearly, the trajectory for the past season and a half is impossible to ignore. Um... But it has to be said, if there's one thing that's going to make me swing back round to being firmly McInnes in, it's uh, some of the absolute nonsense that we see promulgated against him on social media. Uh, I mean, it really is hyperbole top trumps that gets played on there. There was one the other day, by no means the most ridiculous, but it is a line I remember, uh, that we hadn't shown any intent to win since August. Uh, aye, I can just picture Doherty and McInnes going rag in a dressing room in the 13 times we've apparently won by mistake since then. I, I, I've noticed that as well, and I, th- I, don't, I don't know whether it's because Dave Cormack's on on Twitter that um, I think there is a, a section of, the, of our fans that, that are on Twitter that are kind of tagging him in on things. Uh, so every time there's a bad performance, there's, there's a bit of a kind of bombardment goes on to, into Dave Cormack's timeline. I mean, even even when Aberdeen lost that, uh, I say it lost as if there was any significance to it, but that the game they played in Dubai. Now, I, I never watched it by all accounts. It, was, it wasn't great. But, I mean, come on, let's be realistic. It's a training session, you know? And, and yet there was people reacting to that, losing 1-0 to that uh, uh, to that side. Jord- uh, Jordanian side, wasn't it? And they were reacting as if they'd gone out of the cup to somebody. It's, it's absurd. You, you've got to have perspective and you've got to pick your moment to have legitimate complaints about things, not just be this kind of constant... Uh, storm of protest about about everything, um, but I do think that's I think there's people thinking well, we can exert we can exert pressure on Dave Cormack through Twitter here because he's on it and he's reading it. Well, yeah, and to be fair, up to this point, he has been pretty populist. Um, but I think it's definitely a truism that anyone on Twitter who kind of ats the official club account, and by extension, I think ats the um, chairman, um, is one for the watching, basically. <laughs> it's not some not a person you should be taking seriously. Uh, well, Richard, we'll, we'll move right on to that game then. Um, as... No, as you mentioned, there's a lot of people who are you know, quite negative towards the manager. Nothing gets people back on back slightly on side quicker than uh, a decent result at Ibrox. It wasn't, you know, in the manager's own words, Richard, uh, it wasn't perfect because uh, we didn't win. Uh, but um, we were more than in that game. We'll, we'll have to talk about the two Sam Crosgrove, uh, I think you could only call them guilt edge chances, uh, in the first half where... No, no, he takes those, and you know we are on a we're on our path to probably getting three points in that game. 
Yeah, again, as a man brought up in the Fergie era, the phrase doing cartwheels after draw Ibox is absolutely <laughs> ingrained in me and it's not going to happen. Um, but, but I thought we were, you know, there were elements of our play that I liked. Uh, again, uh, the fact that we had the three in midfield, uh, Ojo, McGeoch and Ferguson, that had been a hindrance against St Mirren and I sincerely hope when we play St Johnson on Wednesday that we that we don't see those three. I, I don't think we need to see those three in a game like that, but it did give us a bit more control, um, a bit more time on the ball than we've had in recent games down in Glasgow. Uh, so that was positive. Um, I liked that Niall McGinn was able to take on and... Uh, Beat uh, Barisic a few times early in the game. He's a new golden boy at the moment, I think. Barisic, new deal and everything, and interest from Sarah A apparently. Um, so I'd, and I thought Matty Kennedy was good in the back foot and really good defensively as well. He put in a real shift coming back at the back. McKenna and Taylor, I thought, were brilliant. You can, I mean, it was a day where just to reinforce the qualities that Scott McKenna clearly has. I don't think there's a defender in Scotland that plays uh, Morelos better than Scott McKenna. That doesn't mean that Morelos won't have scored goals against him uh, because, again, McKenna's being held to the sort of standards where any goal that we concede, um, you know, he is, the finger is being pointed at him. For some reason, there's a sort of churlishness amongst other Scottish football fans and even some of our own fans that we should be daring to demand a good fee for a young central defender he's almost certainly going to end his career with about 100 Scotland caps and that's just a fact of the matter there's a lot of things obviously can go wrong and go uh, awry in a football career but this lad's on the path to something like that and these sort of players don't come along that often um anyway yeah I thought there were, there were a lot of elements to be to be pleased of and, and most of all I think there was a plan to get forward and it was executed relatively well. There were definitely stages in the match where we lost our shape a little bit and um, had to kind of dig in and sit in for the point. But um, we, we we had the better chances in the game. And yeah, that those that Cosgrove miss, I think even the Ash Taylor header goes down as a a significantly better chance than he made it look because it's he wins that header cleanly. There's no one else jumping with him and he's only about five yards out. Um, and he, he heads it within McGregor's arc, so to speak. Um, I think that was a real chance as well. So it's a little bit frustrating to come away from there with just the point given the quality of the chances we had. But uh, equally, um, over the course of the game, I, I'm not going to complain that much. It, it was interesting after the game when we spoke to McKenna for the... Uh the daily newspapers and one of the things he brought up was that they're, they are working on trying to do better with their attacking set pieces and um, you know because I mean how many times do we see him or Taylor or uh, I mean Conchie's probably got a better um, well he certainly has got a better uh, scoring rate than the other two but I mean, these are three big lads who are getting their heads on the end of uh, uh, set pieces and, and not hitting the target often enough and I agree with you that Taylor it was on target, but I, I don't think it had to be an exceptional save by McGregor to keep it out. Um, but I, I, I thought Taylor was good, and dare I say, I think he's been good um, since he's been in the side this season. I, I, I was not remotely convinced about that the, the, there was any wisdom in bringing him back. But um, you know, touch wood, and I, I think he always has mistakes, and, and when he makes mistakes, they tend to look pretty, pretty horrific. But um, I think by and large he's been he's been uh, good since he came in. He was certainly very good on 
on Saturday. There was one ball over the top from Goldson that, McK- that Morelos got in behind him, but otherwise I thought he was excellent. And I thought McKenna, I, I agree a hundred percent with you, Richard. I think the the fact that there was this eight million pound price tag or you know bid rejected for him has been held against him and been kind of used to to mock him. Whereas eight, nine, ten million pound figures around old firm players are routine, and and uh, nobody uh, bats an eyelid. But because he's Scottish, because he's with a different club, um, it, it, it's seen as kind of you know the most upper selves by talking about him in this bracket. And he did go through a sticky spell of form. There's no question about it for Scotland as well. But I think he is um, uh, you know, at his best, as you said, he's he's been able to pocket Morelos. Not every game. But, you know, by and large, he's done a very good job against Morelos. And, um, I mean, just finally, before the game, a colleague said to me, you know, how many are you going to get battered by today sort of thing? This was in Ibrox to just uh, kind of uh, just uh, chat. And I said, well, I'll tell you what, I quite like the look of that Aberdeen side. And that, that, this was before the game. Um, and, and, as, and for the reasons that you say that, you know, there's a lot of good footballers there who can play a kind of counter-attacking game and... At their best, when they cut out the stupid mistakes and um, concentrate and just go with runners and, and, and put tackles in and blocks and all the rest of it, and they did all of that for 90 minutes, then when all of that comes together, I would back them to get a result down there because um, I see a fair bit of Rangers and I know that they can they can get frustrated and they just kind of they get choked up and nothing comes off of them. Yeah, I mean, we speculated a bit last week that it... And granted, it was a little bit more than in hope than expectation, but we speculated it was the sort of game that might actually suit us a little bit better because the onus wasn't necessarily on us to uh, find a solution and find a key past a, a defence that was sitting in. It was going to be quite the opposite. Uh, it reminded me a little, quite a lot actually of the, the cup game from March last year, apart from the fact we didn't take our chances. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah, I mean, any time we've done well against Rangers in the last day, uh, Two, three seasons. There's always been pressure to soak up and deal with, and, and you know the, the days that we do it are when we get a result. I mean, it's pretty obvious if you if you don't make the big blunders. Um, and I mean, the, the Cosgrove one was frustrating. It, it, it's just not his kind of chance. If that if that doesn't sound a bit absurd of a centre centre forward to be clean through and goal from the halfway line, but. The thing was that we went and had a go, we actually created chances, and, and I was actually kind of deflated at full time, you know, even though it was relatively decent point. I, yeah, I thought it was an opportunity missed, I thought we could have uh, won the game because Rangers' first shot on target was like the 30, 31st minute. And by that point, we could have been 2 0 up. Um, you look at them cause goal chances, like, like you say, I totally agree with you, um, Michael, but the Second Cosgrove chant when he's running through in goal, that's not really the sort of chance that generally falls to Cosgrove. I thought the first one, his first miss where McGinn's dummy the defender and put it across goal, that's kind of the one you expect your striker, apparently box striker, to put that in. And uh, he's not even made a connection with the ball. That was, for me, the biggest miss of the game. But, um, you know, the stats, if you look at the stats, it makes it look like we were hanging on a bit. And I suppose for the last 10, 15 minutes we were a little bit. But I think that was just because we'd, we'd ran a race. You know, we do have a few players in that team we want. 
100% fit, you know, McGear, Kennedy and stuff, and these, you know, we had to take these guys off, and I think Cosgrove was done by that point, and we'd run out of subs. Um, I actually thought McKinnis' subs were generally good. Um, Gallagher, when he came on, that was probably the first time the afternoon I'd heard a few a few moans from the Aberdeen fans, but um, be fair, you know, he played well. He was he was that type of sub that he needed at that point where, you know, just somebody could just jump on mistakes, and he had two really good chances as well, and I thought Devlin was a good sub. I think, again, there was a few moments of discontent because... Rangers had just put on a striker in Canberra and we were responding by putting on the defender and it was like, why we put on a striker? But um, just before that, I think Canberra and Morales had both got into the box and Canberra could have taken a shot and he kind of cut it back, but um, they were kind of outnumbering us a little bit in the box and actually Devlin coming on was probably what we needed at that point. Because like I say, at that point, we weren't doing anything in the final third. We were kind of hanging on a bit. Um, but... Yeah, you know, going through the defence, I thought Logan Taylor McKenna all kind of made an obligatory mistake, but generally they were good. I thought Constantine was outstanding again. Um, uh, Kennedy, I thought, offered a lot in the first half. He kind of faded. It'll be good to see him when he's fully fit. I think he was injured when he when he signed actually. Um, and yeah, I was, it was like you say it was encouraging. It wasn't it wasn't perfect, but certainly encouraging. I, I would also give a word to to Lewis. I thought. Lewis was um, was was excellent as well. I mean, he saved everything that that, that came at him. He saved a, a good one from an Arfield header. He saved the Morelos chance. He had a couple of others which you'd probably expect him to make. But he was just he just had presence about him at the back um, at the back line. And you know he was he was cute as well. He took his time on on uh, goal kicks, which infuriated the home crowd as well. You know, all that. I mean, I know he eventually got booked for it. But I just thought you know that there was kind of real. There was character in his performance as well. I was impressed with him. I think to take up a point that Andrew made, uh, the John Gallagher substitution uh, probably is uh, the other game in which he's um, been most effective for Aberdeen was uh, was against this mob back at Pitodry in December. Uh, probably not insignificant. It's one of the few games where he's going to get space to exploit with his pace. And he was able to get us much further up the pitch, operate much closer to Cosgrove. And obviously, they really turned the tide for that 15 minutes, probably up until the Taylor header. And then the last 10, 15 minutes, we do we do sit back a little bit more. They bring on a few more heads, go a bit longer. Um, we make the defensive substitutions. At that point, I, you know, I'm thinking probably fair enough, but I'd, I'd take the point at that. But yeah, there was a there was a real sea change after he brings Gallagher on. I I I'm frustrated when I see Gallagher in against sides that are going to sit into because I don't think he's got the skills and capabilities to really beat a man one on one. It is about space for him and exploiting it. I, I think his pace. I, I got the feeling on Saturday that his pace kind of surprises defenders sometimes. You know, they think they've got more time to 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 get to a ball or, or make a clearance than they do. I mean, I used to remember I used to think that with Pollitt, and I think it's the same with Gallagher because you know he's not a, a player that would be that, that especially prominent. You know, they, obviously they're well aware of Cosgrove and all that, but I, I think Gallagher can sometimes surprise him with just how quick he is. So Richard, I mean, obviously Andrew just said it there, but I mean, given the chances, did the I mean, we're not going to complain about the point, um, but it, it does feel like two points dropped, doesn't it? I mean, you know, Alex, Alan McGregor was was voted their man of the match, um, which is very telling. Um, just it does it does feel that kind of like that that sinks in your stomach. 
um, I, I'm not going to come out and blatantly say I think it was two points dropped. I think it was an opportunity to win there that we could have taken but didn't, and pro- potentially should have taken. Because, yeah, I agree with Andrew, that first Cosgrove miss isn't actually um, receiving uh, a lot of attention, but it, uh, how he fails to make contact there is, is pretty glaring. Um, so, and, yeah, you know, we went so long without winning there. Um, and I know it's been um, three wins now in the last couple of years. It, it just would have been great to get another one. Just really... Uh, Put the seal on their weekend as well, because nothing cheers up an Aberdeen supporter more than a Rangers fan misery. I don't think anybody, anybody here, or anybody listening to this podcast will disagree with that. So we'll move on to uh, Wednesday's game. We're, we're at home at St Johnston. Um, possibly the St Johnston, a midweek game against St Johnston, Richard. It's the scourge of this podcast, I think. Um, it's very hard to think of new things to say about <laughs> say about this because the games are usually. Um, Awful, awful shitfests. Uh, but we'll try. Uh, so, uh, Michael, it's important to try and take some of the positivity coming out of Saturday's match into this one, definitely, anyway. Um, we are only three points behind third place Motherwell, who, um, you know, fingers crossed, will drop some points at Celtic. Yeah, um, it's, I mean, it's a different kind of game for us entirely, isn't it? From, from Brooks, and, and uh, this is a kind of game that we have been much less impressive in, in, in recent weeks in terms of both creativity and uh, certainly scoring. Um, I saw St. Johnston last midweek against Celtic and Celtic just blitzed them uh, in the first half an hour. There were three and up. It could have been five. It could have been six. Um, St. Johnston were much better in the second half. Now, I know Celtic take the foot off the, the gas and all the rest of it, but they still did uh, compete pretty well and um, had quite a lot of ball, had quite a lot of territory in Celtic half. So, um, you know, they're capable. Um, they certainly went through a spell of being a tricky side for Aberdeen to, to um, get much about, you know. So, um, Matty Kennedy's involvement will be intriguing as well. Uh, whether they'll um, know all his tricks inside out or whether uh, he'll know theirs, all that sort of stuff. Um but yeah, I mean, it would be really nice to think that that they can use Ibrox as a platform and, and spring on from it. I, I don't know about Hernandez's uh, fitness. You would like to think he's going to get some game time and just to lift the lift the the, the atmosphere, if nothing else. Um, but yeah, I mean, if, if we're going to, you know, the weeks tick on and we keep thinking, well, Aberdeen will get ahead of Motherwell eventually, and you know, losing to them didn't help the other week, but. If it's going to happen, then these are the kind of games that they need to win and uh, assume that Motherwell will stumble. It's a fixture everyone hates in it, but just because St Johnson Aberdeen game is generally not particularly great. You know, we're struggling for goals. I, don't, I still think I don't think we've scored an open goal since um, since box goal from open play since Boxing Day, um, and St Johnson are a team that are notoriously difficult to break down. Um, but if Hearts can score three goals against them and Sean Clare can score, then uh, Surely we can, but what I'm actually worried about is the fact that Stevie May seems to be on form now. I think he scored two at the weekend, so uh, yeah, I'm gonna have a heart in my mouth for this one. I'd um, I'll be interested to see how he lines up because you know sometimes if you went die box and played well with that team, you kind of feel maybe to stick with it. Uh, I think Richard sort of pointed out early on that we wouldn't want to see him going with them three midfielders again against a team that you've got to go and break down. So I'd probably drop one of Ojo McGeek. Um, for me, maybe putting a Bruce Anderson go a second striker, but um, 
I can actually see Gallagher maybe starting after his sub appearance. Um, yeah, possibly. Um, <laughs> you can tell I'm not uh, taking that with too much enthusiasm. Uh, I think the Ojo McGear conundrum is going to have to be resolved at some point because let's be honest about it. Ojo was bought in the summer because we couldn't get hold of Dylan McGear at the time. They they are there to fill essentially the same role. I I would speculate, and you know if either of you two want to disagree with that, then go ahead. But I think ultimately that will have to be resolved at some point because. Um, you have two guys in there, two of the no doubt better paid people on the team, the guys who are on long contracts, we paid good money for one of them, um, so that in itself often justifies them getting a place ahead of other people. Um, so uh, it would definitely be one of those two that I would like to see rotate out on Wednesday. And um, I like Hedges as a footballer, I like how he links with Alm again, I've liked it all season. It, he's maybe not made enough positive winning contributions to football matches which is what he's paid to do um, but he would be I would like to see either him in or play Gallagher at 10 and have uh, McGinn left and um, somebody like Conor McLennan right What do we think is going to happen when Bryson if, if Bryson is ever uh, fit for any length of time I mean, what, what do we think there because that's, that's a third player effectively taking the same uh, you know filling the same kind of role Broadly. Well, I'm, I'm going to have to assume that Bryson is probably earmarked to play slightly further forward of that and, and play like a more traditional number 10, to be honest, because I think, I, 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 I suspect he sees Ferguson more, more as an 8, more as a kind of a box-to-box player, and yeah. have Ojo and or McGeer sitting. I think Ferguson's better coming into the box, isn't he? Yeah. Kind of on the ball, into the box rather than... I mean, he's not he's not a Roger figure, you know, which to me is the kind of the kind of classic ten that's in Scotland at the moment. Although mm-hmm. he's kind of out of the picture a bit as well. Christie, you know, that kind of player that is comfortable with the ball at his feet in in in, in a crowd, you know. I mean, obviously, um, I don't hate myself, so I haven't watched too much English Championship football, so I don't really know where Bryson exactly played for uh, Derby. But his goal scoring record suggested was fairly far forward. We thought he was going to be an important signing, but he's just never. He's another one that's just never got going. Unfortunately, it's uh, injuries in this, in this situation. But again, he'll be a high earner, you know. Yeah, yeah, the, absolutely. The, 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 the three of them is a conundrum um, in, in terms of the middle. In terms of placing the parts of a jigsaw. It was Ojo because we couldn't get McGeoch, and it was I think it was intended to be Ojo, Ferguson, and uh, Bryson. Now that you've got Ojo and McGeoch, I think that's really the kind of um, the clashing point right now. I mean, you know, McInnes has not been slow in the past to get rid of players pretty quickly. I'm not, I'm not saying that he's going to do that with Ojo or Bryson, but because um, I think he's he's he kind of worked pretty hard to get all three. Yeah, you know, McGeoch as well. But, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And and yeah. squad depth's a good thing, but you know whether we can whether we can afford to have a guy that we've paid money for sitting on a bench or a guy like Dylan McGeoch who we've no doubt made certain promises to sitting on the bench is is another matter, you know. Yeah, sure. I, I was just about to say that you know squad depth is is uh, is great, and I mean if you know if Ojo and uh, especially Bryce are going to pick up injuries, then you know it's not as if you're always going to have the three of them yeah. competing for that. So uh, no no harm in it. And of course, once St Johnston's out of the way, we have just the, well, I'm not even going to call it the small matter, the huge matter of the Scottish Cup fifth round on Saturday at home at Kilmarnock. Uh, Michael, um, Kilmarnock have finally ended a run of seven league defeats on Saturday. They did have a 6-0 win in the Cup against Queen's Park in between, uh, but apart from Saturday, they've been an atrocious run. Uh, 
this no, this is obviously going to be a difficult one. No, we've played them several times in recent history in the cup. Uh, it's not really been too straightforward. Uh, but this will be this will be no this no. We don't need to stress how important the Scottish Cup is to anybody who sports Aberdeen, do we? No, <laughs> no, of course not. Um, I mean, it's it's incredible, really, that um, uh, it's. I mean, we're, we're you know, listen, we're not at Hibs level. What did they get to 114 or whatever? But you know, we're, we're bloody inching up there, aren't we? I mean, the you know, it's 30 now, which um, is you know, Christ, it, uh, I was going to say it's a lifetime. It bloody feels like it, you know. Um, but I mean, I don't think you can ever be remotely uh, blasé about a Premier League opposition in the cup. I mean, you know, I think we were happy with the draw. When it came out, a home draw against a struggling side. Uh, yeah, they beat County, but up until then, their, their recent form has been dreadful. You know, it hasn't really been happening for Alec Dyer. Um, but, you know, it, it, it's going to take a bit of a performance from Aberdeen. They're not going to be given anything easily. And, you know, God forbid that it's a draw even, because, you know, would you fancy going down to Rugby Park and, and beating them on that on that surface in midweek? And, you know, it's... Um, it's, it's they're going to have to be on their game on Saturday, Aberdeen, to get through this because um, you know, it, it, as you say, I hope that they don't feel inhibited or tense about it because the cup is is uh, is crucial for for the club and for McInnes because he knows that, that the flag will will be, be turned up on him again. You know, Dave Cormack has spent a lot of money in January and, and will be looking for returns and. You know, we know what will happen to attendances if we lose to Kilmarnock on Saturday, but the, the reverse is also true, that um, get through, get into the quarterfinals, and then um, it just keeps the whole season bubbling along. Oh, I was just going to say, I've seen um, I've seen quite a lot of Kilmarnock actually in the past couple of months, and um, you know that that run probably makes it look, look at worse than it actually was. They haven't been played too badly, they've just not been taking a chance. Like, even both of you, you know, some of the chances he's missed, you know, he should really be buoying us, a guy who... Might be the Scotland striker leading Scotland against Israel with uh, you know well, hopefully Griffith stays fit. But um, there, despite that, they are a club in a, a little bit of a mess. You know that they don't they didn't do very good work really in January transfer, transfer window. Um, you know uh, Burke, Brophy, and probably Stephen O'Donnell have kind of carried them this season. They look like basically a club who just want to get to the, the end of the season. Um, so for me, it's it's. Even though it's a Premier League team, I think it's actually a good draw for Aberdeen. And uh, it is a team we should not just go to win and actually put a few goals past them. Um, I think it sums up that they've you know released Kirk Budfoot and then signed him again five months later. Uh, so um, I apologise, I'm probably jinxing it, but I'm actually relatively confident about uh, Saturday. But I agree with you all, it's, uh, it's a massive game for Aberdeen, um, absolutely have to win it um, a cup exit at this point especially you know with the pressure that is on McInnes it's kind of eased a little after Saturday but it'll be back big time if uh, we go up with the cup Richard there's no chance of that happening is there no, no, the Scottish Cup surely 30 years come bring me the positivity that I want to hear Richard what I will say is obviously the picture could look uh, a lot rosier on Saturday if the next two results go in our favour. Um, and in many ways, these two games are the acid tests because the game at Ibrox, as much as that would have uh, played heavily um, and the volume of support at Ayer had we gone down there, it's, it's a game that is going to take care of itself, more or less. Whereas these two games, 
we're going to have to find the motivation ourselves. We're going to have to find the attacking inspiration ourselves. You know, we're not going to be granted space in their half in the same way that we were on Saturday. You know, this will be two teams that come north and set out their stalls, you know, the same way that we did at iBooks, let's be honest about it. Be hard to break down. They'll have a plan to get forward, of course they will, but first and foremost, they'll be looking to stop us. So it's up to us to bring that. It'll be up to us to bring the... Uh, the atmosphere, uh, and that will be helped on Saturday by a soldier at Markland Den. That would be great. And, you know, I'd, it could it could go really well. We could beat uh, Motherwell, uh, not Motherwell, we could beat St. Johnson on Wednesday. Hernandez could make a cracking debut and get everyone, what's the Venezuelan equivalent of a fez? I don't know. Um, but get everyone <laughs> buying new headgear. And on Saturday, it could be, you know, an early goal. The Markland ends right up for it. And again, it could be a comfortable afternoon. Everyone goes home very happy, very buoyed up. However, how often this season have we looked ahead of a winnable run of games in the next three games? The two we've spoken about, and is it, it's Hamilton next midweek, isn't it? They all look like games we should be winning. But how often this season have we sat ahead of a run of games like that and thought, right, OK, let's just... Get some momentum going, let's win those games. And then next week, the podcast the week after, we come back. Well, about those two games of which we got one point. Uh, how did that go? So I, I kind of feel that we've been here far too often this season. And this is the main reason why there is, obviously, a lot of discontent about the management team. Because it's not just the the high-profile games. It's not just the 5 nils at Ibrox or the 4 nils against Celtic or going out of Europe so tamely. It's also... Those games where we've not taken our opportunity against uh, against the teams beneath us in the league. I, I just like the idea that Martin left one nil against Dumbarton and went skipping up Macklin Road, throwing his hat in the air and saying, "Name on the trophy." <laughs> Martin's an interesting fellow, uh, Michael. I, I get if, every year, Michael. Every year, I get carried away about the Scottish Cup. Um, I just can't help myself. <laughs> And, and as you, and as you and as you heard there, that's as that's as carried away as Richard is willing to get until four forty five on May the ninth. Yep. Yep. <laughs> you are getting carried away. You know exactly when the Scottish Cup final is. That's that's. I know exactly when the Scottish Cup final is, Richard. Yes. <laughs> Not that I've earmarked it and made sure that I'll be doing nothing else that day. Honest. I, I just have it in my head that Aberdeen will win the Scottish Cup because big clubs do eventually win it, but then. I mean, Hibs, whatever you might think of Hibs, and I know your instinct, especially you, Richard, is just to mock and uh, and <laughs> discuss them, but, I mean, you know, they're, they're a substantial club in Scotland. They're not 114 years without winning this bloody thing. So, um, yeah, I mean, I remember, obviously we all remember 90, remember being there. It's never occurred to you that it would, it would be so long before it, uh, before it would happen again. I'm off Twitter, Michael, and it's not hearts. So I'm, I'm not going to sit here and mock Hibs that much. They're okay. In my in my experience, if if you meet a good guy from Edinburgh, he, tell, he he's usually a Hibs fan. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just leave that. Hanging. Well, yeah. Well, I think we'll, I know, but I think I think that's the perfect place to end this evening. Um, yeah, that's because I fully agree with you, Richard. Richard. Apart from the Aberdeen um, fans who live in Edinburgh, of course. Hello, Capital Reds, etc. Of of course. So yeah, um, that <laughs> that brings. Important to clarify that that uh, Aberdeen fans in Edinburgh are better than Hibs fans. Podcast. Yeah. <laughs> important to stress that. Yeah, absolutely, one hundred percent. 
So that brings an end to this week's Here We Go podcast. Um, I'd just like to thank um, our guest this week. Thank you very much, Michael Grant. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me on. And thank you to Andrew Southwick. Thanks, it's been a pleasure. No, it's no problem. It's always a pleasure having you both back on. Um, so, yeah, that brings an end to the podcast this week. Uh, hopefully, we'll be back with you next week after uh, a nice, a nice, easy, comfortable win against St Johnston, and we'll find ourselves in the next round of the draw for the Scottish Cup. But until then, come on, you Reds.